0: Good evening, everyone. I hope everyone's having a good evening. I'm glad to see everyone that is here. That means you are most likely doing well. Please turn in your Bibles to John 4. John chapter 4. For better or worse, pastor asked me to preach tonight, so here I am. Also, for better or worse, he didn't give me a time limit, so that ought to be interesting. Yes. Take them out? Oh, tuck in. Okay. John chapter 4, I'm going to start reading all the way till verse 42 and then pray after that. That is a section I'm going to preach on tonight. In verse chapter 4 verse 1, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. Please follow along in whatever copy of God's Word you have. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Verse 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me to drink from... Jesus answered and said to her, "'Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, "'but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him "'will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him "'will become in him a fountain of water "'springing up into everlasting life.' The woman said to him, "'Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, "'nor come here to draw.'" Verse 16. Jesus said to her, "'Go call your husband and come here.' The woman answered and said, "'I have no husband.' Jesus said to her, "'You have well said, I have no husband.'" For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews." But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Verse 27. And at this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Verse 33. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together for in this, the saying is true. One sows, excuse me, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. Lord, we gather together to hear your word, to sing praises to your name, to sing praises to you, Lord. Help us to learn. Help us to quiet our minds and focus on what you are teaching us, what you have spoken through your word. This great gift you've given us of your word, it's enlightening. It tells us everything we ever did. Lord, thank you. And please speak your word through me and get me out of the way, but have what you want to say be said clearly so that everyone who hears it will get it. And Lord, we thank you for all this and for allowing us to come to your house. And please keep us safe on our way home tonight after the service is done. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we start in verse 1. I like this chapter a lot, Um, John 4. John 3 and John 4 probably has to be one of my favorite spots in all the Bible. Just two different interviews with Jesus. Um, It's just very fun to read. Um, A lot of truths in here. So starting in verse 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So about this time, Jesus started his ministry up in Galilee, which is to the north, and then after a while moved down to Judea, and then after a while moved back up into Galilee region. Samaria is roughly in between um, the Judea area and the Galilee area. And the fastest route between those two areas is through Samaria. So while most of the Jews traveled around Samaria, Jesus instead went through it. Um, Now, at this point, the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had made and baptized more disciples than John. It says that though Jesus himself did not baptize. It doesn't say why he didn't baptize, but we see later on in 1 Corinthians 1.17 that Paul mentions that this is likely why Jesus himself didn't baptize anyone, because it was going to become an issue later on, people claiming, well, I was baptized by this great Christian, or I was baptized by that great Christian, which is likely why. Anyway, so the Pharisees did not like John back then, and Jesus becoming more popular and more renowned than John could cause some issues. Regardless, he left and departed to go to Galilee, in verse 4, but he needed to go through Samaria. I think this is really interesting. It says needed here. Um, there's a lot of sermons and topical messages messages that have been made regarding this, regarding Jesus needing to go through Samaria. Um, that's a point that's often emphasized throughout all of John, is Jesus is about to do the Father's will. And all throughout John, Jesus is going to do the Father's will, go do the Father's will. And he mentions it many times in this book, We see references to it. This is one of them. He needs to go through Samaria. Anyway. Verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So Jacob's well is near a city in Samaria called Sychar. This well is actually roughly two hours' walk southwest of the city itself. Um, And it mentions the time here. It was about the sixth hour. So Jesus was physically weary from his journey, and he gets to this well at the sixth hour. Now, if this is the sixth hour according to the Hebrew clock, then it would be noon, which is a peculiar time to go get water. But if it's, a sixth hour for the Roman clock, it would be either 6 a.m. or 6 p.m. 6 p.m. makes more sense as to why this woman is getting water now because 6 p.m. is after the day's work is done, and so you're free to go and do whatever you need to do, and water is one of the chores people often had to do. So it's likely she went later in the day. Verse 7, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me drink. This is where the interview starts. And right off the bat, it starts really interesting. Jesus asks the Samaritan woman for water. This is not an unusual request um, because later we see that Jesus himself didn't have anything to draw water with. And she was the only one there to help him. Verse 8, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus is alone here at this well. He's tired and he wants a drink of water. And so he asked this woman to get him a drink of water because his disciples aren't there. And this is very perplexing to her. She says, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, it can be a bit confusing at first where it says no dealings with Samaritans, yet the disciples are going into, this, into the town to buy food. Um, now, there's a few theories as to what this is. Um, the Jews did clearly have some limited interactions with the Samaritans, and there wasn't, there wasn't good relations between most Jews and Samaritans, but it seems that Jews could buy stuff from Samaritans just fine, um, but as far as the Jews having no dealing with Samaritans, we don't really know too much of what that means. There's a few Jewish regulations and raw laws written down by the Pharisees as far as what interactions they could and couldn't have, one of those that was written down was that they couldn't share um, bowls, pitchers, or water to drink from. They couldn't drink from the same one. So this is probably why she's so perplexed by this. So Jesus clearly is here for a reason. He's here in this area. He needs to go through this area, and he stops off at this place. Now, if we were reading this from the perspective that Jesus is just a normal man, this is coincidence that Jesus would be going through Samaria because it's the fastest route and he just happens to need water and he's at a well and there's a lady here who can get him water. That would be if Jesus was just a normal person, but Jesus is not. Jesus is God and he's about God, the father's business. So clearly there's a reason he's here talking with her. And so he asks, give me a drink. So, To an extent, he's appealing to her sympathy. Hey, could you give me a drink? She hesitates. She doesn't give him a drink. And instead, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked me and he would have given you living water. So, like I said, Jesus is here for a reason. And what they say and how they say is very important. Jesus says, give me a drink. So he's he's asking her for a request. She doesn't exactly give him water at first. Instead, she's wondering, why is it that he's a Jew asking drink from a Samaritan woman? So technically... She's in a position of power because she has water and he doesn't, and he's asking for water. But he flips this around immediately, which is really interesting. Verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So Jesus is basically turning it around. I have water, actually. And if you knew the gift of God and who is speaking to you, And you said, Give me a drink, I would have given you living water. So Jesus sparks her curiosity here. He starts with, If you knew. So he's trying to get her to think, If you knew. She has a pitcher of water, she's at the moment self sufficient. And Jesus doesn't have a pitcher, and he wants a drink of water. He doesn't really really answer her why he's asking her for a drink. But like I said, he counters her instead with he could give her living water. Now, the words used for living water here are often the same words used in the Old Testament to describe spring water. And this is water that bubbles up. This is water that is very fresh, very good. It's not like rainwater, which you collect in a bucket or whatever that you push up, put outside a cistern or a reservoir. This is fresh, very refreshing, good water. Now, this is a reminder, a kind of a callback to John 3, where Jesus uses the terms born again. Uh, specifically, John 3, verse 7, you must be born again. So Jesus is using words that have some meaning and some hidden meaning, but he really means something else by them, living water. So Jesus here is talking about salvation. This living water is an internal, satisfying life. And he says, if you knew. So to an extent, he's calling out that she's ignorant on this. If you knew the gift of God. Jesus describes this living water as a gift. It is a gift. It's not something that she could just take or pull out with her own picture. To an extent, she's dependent on him because he has this living water, and he can give you this gift, this gift that you can't just pull out with your own picture. Um, so he's flipped this around entirely, and he's describing this living water, which is often used for something um, also often used in the Old Testament for spiritual things. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Now this is funny, because she doesn't get that he's using a metaphor here. He's basically calling living water something else than actually water that's alive, um, physical living water. He's describing spiritual life. And she doesn't get it. She says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. So she gives an objection. But sir, you can't really give me this living water because you have nothing to draw with. And this well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? So she's likely thinking, living water. Those are the same words for spring water. Therefore, Jesus is saying that he can get really down deep into that well and pull the water that's flowing in the underground stream that is under the kind of stagnant water that's sitting at the bottom of the well that you would usually get with a bucket. And so that's likely what she's thinking. She's like, you have nothing to draw with, and this well is deep. Where are you going to get this? Now notice she continues on in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as all his sons and his livestock? So she could have left it at that question. She could have left it at, then where are you going to get this water? And waited for his answer. But instead, she keeps talking. Are you greater than our father Jacob? So apparently back when Jesus sparked her curiosity, back when he said, if you knew the gift of God, that worked. So he sparks her curiosity. And she's now continuing to talk. Are you greater than our father Jacob? So she references back to Jacob. Because this is the well that Jacob dug. Now, she conveniently leaves out that the Samaritans had a mixed heritage. But she says, are you greater than our father, Jacob? So Jesus starts talking about spiritual things. And she kind of gets that he's talking about that, but she really doesn't understand what's going on. Who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock. So she's describing this water from this well as enough to sustain Jacob, enough to sustain Jacob's sons, and enough to sustain his livestock. She's kind of countering with, hey, do I really need this living water? I know I have my pitcher full of water that you want, but what you're offering me that sounds so great, do I really want it? Clearly, with how much she's talking, she she actually does. Um, but anyway, she she gives this as if expecting a negative answer. Because who in the right mind could say they are greater than Jacob or greater than Abraham? She gives us expecting a negative answer. But she still goes through with saying it because she wants to see. This is a mysterious stranger here. She wants to see what he's going to say. Verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So at this point, Jesus goes fully into the analogy. She's starting to get it, kind of, and he goes fully into the analogy. First, by talking about this water, whoever drinks this water will thirst again. Jesus doesn't explicitly say right here, right now, I am greater than Jacob. But that is basically what he's saying. Jacob drank this water. And he was probably still thirsty afterwards. But whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never thirst. So she might be getting the clue now that this water is something different. That this water might not be physical. This puzzle is starting to work out for her. She's thinking through it. Likely. He says, the water he will give them will make them never thirst. And it will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus has gone all the way to describe this spiritual water, this everlasting life. This is a great and wondrous thing. Once again, Jesus is saying, what I have is something so great. And he's describing it to her. And to an extent, she wants it. That's where we get into verse 15. She realizes this is no ordinary water. So she says, sir, give me this water, then I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. So she believes him. She believes him that this is not ordinary water. But at the same time, she still thinks it's physical water. She still thinks it's a water that she's going to drink and never need to thirst. But she asks him for it. She actually asks him for it. Now, if you remember back in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. So she now has asked him, she actually has asked asked him, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. So interesting to come here to draw part. In this section of Samaria, there is actually a lot of springs. um, Most likely the reason Jacob dug his own well here is so that if there was a dry season that some of the springs dried up, he wouldn't need to go and fight over water rights with other peoples. He could have his well, which was connected to an underground spring. That said, if she actually lived in the town of Sychar, that would be a two-hour walk with a pitcher just to get water, which doesn't make much sense. So it's likely when it says back in the previous verse that she was a woman of Samaria, that she was probably from the region of Samaria and not actually the town of Sychar. Now later on, we'll see, there she goes and gets the people in the town of Sychar. But for now, she's probably not a resident of the city itself. Anyway, that's just some geographical background. So she asks for this water. She is now fully committed. She wants this water. And so Jesus, he skips. He skips no... Mm, what's, what is it? Excuse me, I just froze for a moment. Okay, so Jesus then, he doesn't give her this water immediately. Um, little does she know he's working towards it. Everything he's been doing has been building up to this. So Jesus immediately says, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. So this may seem random. Um, this is a bit not on topic. They were talking about water. They were talking about wells. Um, and living water, and exchanging water, and a deal here. But Jesus now says, go call your husband and come here. This is peculiar. Um, He didn't randomly change the conversation. This wasn't random. He had a purpose here. He knew that she wanted it now. She clearly wants this. So he has to get her to the next step of realizing what's, what's it require. And he wants her to see that it's not something she can earn. It is a gift. He wants her to see this, so he says, Go call your husband. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. That is in verse 17. In the original language, both Greek and Syriac, which is very similar to Sumerian, this whole conversation, she said between 40 and 70 words. So she's spoken a lot throughout this conversation as com- in comparison to Nicodemus from the previous chapter he said very little and by the end he stopped talking completely cuz he just didn't get what was going on. This woman's different. This woman's starting to get it and she's piecing it together. She said a lot. But now that Jesus says, "Go call your husband." She says, "I have no husband." In Syriac that's three words. Just three. So she she backpedals immediately. And it's likely she was trying to hide or avoid that conversation and bringing up that sin. So she doesn't do the truth of her lifestyle. She doesn't do it any justice by how short her answer was. Um, she was trying pretty hard to understand what Jesus was saying. She was trying to get it, and she eventually does want this water, but she doesn't realize that it, it comes with a it comes with a rejection of your sin. So Jesus, of course, immediately points out the sin, and she says, I have no husband. Verse the latter part of verse 17. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. Verse 18. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now you now have is not your husband. In that you have spoken truly. So Jesus is very sarcastic in his reply which is one of the funnier things and what makes reading Jesus and his words so entertaining often in the Gospels is how Jesus speaks. Um, Now in this first part where he says, you have well said, I have no husband. In the original language, husband is given uh, priority, extra kicker, almost like Jesus is mocking it. Like, were they really husband? Were they really, really? Was this serious with you? So he calls out her immorality immediately. He just pointed out her past and present sin. There is no hiding and no running from it. Jesus just throws it out there. But because Jesus is God, he knew this. It's not like he was spying on her. He actually knew this. Verse 19, the woman said to to him, "'Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet.'" This isn't really a backpedal here, where she was, Jesus just accused her of her immoral lifestyle, and she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Basically, she's admitting to it, yes, I have done that. She's saying, you you are reading my mind. I think you are a prophet. She says, I think you're a prophet. She's admitting that he understands and knows her life and knows her, and she's not hiding that anymore, that she has done this sin. Which makes verse 20 very strange because she turns around and starts what seems like a different conversation. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. There's no question mark here, but it's likely that she was wondering about a question. She was wondering, okay, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where you ought to worship. This is a good question, if it's a question. This is... An interesting topic that she probably is interested in, that Jesus, who is most likely a prophet, at least in her eyes, knows a lot about. So she's like, hey, let's talk about this instead. I don't want to so much talk about my past and what I've done. I'd rather talk about this cool conversation. You seem like to be a prophet, and you've been talking about spiritual things. Go ahead and tell me what you think about this. So Jesus then says, verse 21, Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father." (Verse 22) You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and is, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking to worship, seeking such to worship Him. Excuse me. (Verse 24) God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit. And truth. So Jesus drops a lot of information quickly. Um, To understand it all, we have to go verse by verse. He starts off with Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. So he starts off by saying, Very soon things are going to change. Very soon you won't worship God on this mountain. Or in Jerusalem. Verse 22. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship. So he then goes into quasi answering her hidden question. You Sumerians. You don't know what you're worshiping. You don't know what you're doing. Basically. And you do not know. You just don't know. We know what we worship. He's referencing the Jews. For salvation is of the Jews. Because through the Jews and the Jewish people, all of the Old Testament was revealed. So they know all this. The salvation is of the Jews. They know all this. But he immediately then goes back to what he said in verse 21. He starts off in verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is. That's interesting because Jesus doesn't actually die um, 10 seconds from now. It's actually a little bit farther in the future chronologically. But... That's one thing you notice a lot with Jesus is when he talks, he's talking about now, most of the time. He's talking about now, but also what's going to come very soon. Because the present is the, I can't think of a good word for it, the embryo of the future. Very soon, whatever is in the present is going to grow up to the future. And Jesus is saying, but the hour is coming, and now is. It is very close. It is now. It is practically now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So he's saying that the true worshipers of God will worship him. They will do it in spirit and in truth, not in temples and not in ceremonies. But they'll worship him in their hearts everywhere they go. And genuine worshipers... Which is what he says right here, when the true worshipers, this is genuine, they will worship him in spirit and truth. They will. That's very certain. Verse 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. No, worship in spirit and truth. They must worship him in spirit and truth. The genuine believers must worship him in spirit and truth. So he explains to her all this very quickly. It is a genuine internal worship. It is coming. It is basically now. It is in line with the Old Testament. Whatever you were believing before isn't going to work. This is what's going on. Oh, I missed this part back in verse 23. For the father is seeking such to worship him. That's an interesting phrase for the father is seeking such to worship him. Notice that God, the Father, is the one actively seeking and actively searching for such to worship him. He's searching for these people to worship him. Not worship, not searching for people who are worshiping him, but he is searching for people to worship him. I think I might have messed that up somewhere. Please forgive me. I hope you understand what I was trying to say. Read my mind, please. Verse 25. <laughs> Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So this seems like another, another just random comment. Once again, the conversation started to seem like it was progressive, and now we're talking about something completely different. So she says, I know that... Messiah is coming. So apparently the Sumerians had references and had were looking forward to the Messiah as well. Um, I don't know hardly anything at all about the Sumerian religions and what they did and didn't do. I know that they held the five first books of the Bible and hardly anything else. But she knows the Messiah is coming. So apparently all these things that Jesus told her reminded her of the Messiah. Jesus reading her mind, Jesus calling out her sin, Jesus talking about everlasting life and then true worship that is coming very soon in the spirit and in truth reminds her of the Messiah. And she says that. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Verse 26, this is the great statement. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus here admits he is Messiah. He hardly does this. He hardly straight up says, I am he. It's not often. Also, I think it's pretty great that he says this. He stays in Samaria two days and then goes north as quickly as possible, basically. Um, So whatever backlash he could have gotten from the Sanhedrin or the Pharisees or other authority figures in the area who didn't like him already, um, it would have happened after he was gone. So he could just say this and run, basically. Um, Perfect timing, as always. Jesus knows what he's doing. Anyway, so Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. She gets it. Now, it doesn't explicitly say that she gets it or that she's saved. But what we do know is this is all leading up and there's evidence that she's piecing it together and she's starting to understand what happens. Then the conversation just stops here. Verse 26. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Um... The only thing we have to go off there of why they're marveling that he talks with a woman is there's a pharisaical text somewhere that references that Rab, uh, I believe rabbi shouldn't talk to anyone in the street, not even their wife. But I know hardly anything about that. That was the only thing I could find related to this is why it would say that. Verse 27. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? These are the two questions that they're thinking. What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? These are the two questions that come to mind. They don't, ask, they don't ask this. They're probably just too reverent of Jesus to ask this. But the answers to both these questions are very simple. Jesus is here for living water, yes. But also he's here to give her for water, physical water, and to give her living water. There we go. And why is he talking with her? Well, he's here to get physical water, and he's here to give her living water. There's a reason he's here. Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. It doesn't say why the woman left the water pot. She could have forgotten it in a hurry to get to the city. Or she could have left it specifically for Jesus to actually give him that drink. Um, Who knows? Verse 31, I'm going to read this section quickly. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, his disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Verse 34. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do not say there are still four months. Then the, then comes the harvest. Do you not say, sorry. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes. And look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Verse 36, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Verse 37, for in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. Verse 38, I sent you to reap that, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. So this is pretty complicated. I don't have enough time to get into all of it. But Jesus is saying he is here to sow. And behind him will come people who will reap. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Sumerians, Samaritans, sorry, have I been saying Samaritans this whole time? I hope not, referencing the wrong part of the, of the world. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. These Samaritan peoples, Samaritans, ugh, these Samaritan peoples are much more hospitable to Jesus than we would have expected um, as far as Jews and Samaritan relationships went. But her telling them that Jesus told her everything she ever did, is this not the Christ? This was amazing to them. They went right off to see Jesus. They talked to Jesus themselves. They believed Jesus because they talked to Jesus themselves. That reminds me of back in verse 14 but the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up. It's the idea that it's just bubbling up. It's more than just you. You have this, but it's going to affect other people too. And this is is the impact Jesus had in this town. He didn't stay very long. He came and he did exactly what he needed to do. And when the time was done for him to be there, he immediately left and went north. But that was what and why Jesus came here. Now, if you would, please quickly turn over to Acts 8. Acts 8, starting in verse 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip hearing and seeing miracles the miracles which he did for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed and there was a there was great joy in that city so there was lasting impact so back when Jesus said back in John 4 that there was a Harvest that was white, that one comes to sow and the others come behind to reap. This is the reaping we see right here in Acts 8, 4 through 8. This is Samaria receiving the gospel later when Philip goes and talks to them. And there's a great many converts there. That is what Jesus means when he's talking from verse 31 down to 38. So, that is all I have for this section, this passage. But, in conclusion, this passage is a parallel and parallels a lot with John 3. Nicodemus, who just didn't get it at all. He didn't get Jesus' analogy. And Jesus basically went into a monologue to explain to Nicodemus, this is what's going on, this is what's going on. Nicodemus just didn't get it. This is different. This is a dialogue he's having with this woman, and they talk basically back and forth throughout most of it. And each step, she seems to gradually start to get more and more and more and understand more and more and more. And in the end, we seem to see that she fully understands who it is she's speaking to and what he means by living water. So if you don't quite get it, what Jesus means by living water, he's talking about everlasting life, being born again, John 3, to be saved. It is not something we do, but it is something that God does in us. God seeks us out, and He gives us this gift of salvation. So, if you do not have this joy, if you do not have this living water, if you are thirsty like she was, and you are seeking for Christ, today is a good day to get saved. Today is a great day to get saved there's no better day than today because we're not guaranteed tomorrow you can have everlasting life as he said back in verse 10 of chapter 4 if you knew the gift of god and who it is who says to you give me a drink you would have asked him and he would have given you living water he would have given you living water if you had asked him so seek the lord today ask him That is all I have for you tonight. So let's pray and then be dismissed. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you for the great gift of life you've given us, but also the great gift of being born again, that you came into our hearts and regenerated us, made us new creatures, gave us this living water which will spring up in our souls. Lord, We were so thirsty before. We had no purpose before. We were wandering, lost, and forsaken, just wallowing in our sins. But Lord, you came to save us when we did not deserve it. You went out of your way. You went and talked to this one woman in Samaria who was horribly immoral. And you went and talked to her, Lord. And you did the same for each and every one of us Gentiles. You went and exactly as the Father's will was, and you saved us because you loved us. You chose to love us. Thank you, Lord, for that love. If anyone today doesn't have that love, Lord, please reveal yourself to them. Do not hide your face, please, Lord. Give them this new life. Lord, we thank you for all these things. Please help us to apply to our lives whatever we have learned tonight, Lord, and help us to study your word more fervently. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.